0: But wearables have come a long way from just tracking steps to tracking a whole bunch of variables. The frontier that we're at now is how to integrate them into the rest of the health system. These are all foundational principles that you need for a a fulfilled, like wonderful life. And and we have access to the tools to get there.
1: Welcome back, or welcome to The finding mastery podcast i'm your host dr michael gervais by trade and training a high performance psychologist and i'm thrilled to welcome dr kapil parak to the podcast for this week's conversation kapil is a renowned cardiologist and the senior medical lead at google which means he's working on some pretty radical stuff kapil is more than a doctor he's a leader in the wearable movement with keen insight into current trends and future directions And when it comes to wearable health technology, I'm in. You've heard me love Slob about Apollo Neuro. And if not, I want to encourage you to check them out. And I think you'll love what they're doing. So the question is, as we integrate more technology into our daily lives and as the world of health technology progresses and evolves rapidly, what possibilities can they help us unlock? How can they numb us as an instrument? How can we leverage the power of wearables to go beyond mere physical tracking and genuinely enhance our psychological well-being as well? These questions form the springboard for our conversation with Kapil. He was raised in Zambia. He was educated at John Hopkins, and his diverse background infuses Silicon Valley innovations with the deep empathy of human-centered medicine. That combination is pretty cool. His trailblazing work is redefining healthcare and guiding us toward a healthier, more informed future. He's also the author of Searching for Health, the smart way to find health information online and put it to use. It's a practical guide for navigating the complexity of today's healthcare landscape. At his core, he is dedicated to empowering as many people as possible. He's helped launch products that have impacted over a billion lives and it feels like he's just getting started. Whether you're a passionate tech enthusiast, a health professional, or more simply looking to level up your game, Kapil's insights promise to elevate your perception of what's possible with wearables, to empower you to make informed decisions that resonate with your body's own unique needs. So with that... Let's jump right in today's conversation with Dr. Kapil Parak. Kapil, I am so excited for this conversation. Thank you so much for carving out time in your very full schedule. And you wear so many different hats.
0: Which which one are you wearing today? That's a great question. Um, just me. So this is, this is my personal opinions. Um, what I say is like, you know, I work at Google. I see patients at the VA as a cardiologist. I have affiliations as a adjunct uh, professor at Yale and Georgetown. But today, you're just getting me. These are my personal opinions. Uh, Don't buy stock based on anything I say. Um, This is just uh, my personal opinion and, and nothing more. Okay. So
1: you have this really unique background, this unique vantage point that allows you to see around some corners. And could we maybe get a glimpse of what's coming down the pipeline with health tech?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I think we're in this super exciting time. And If you think about it, you know, when you look back to when the internet came or when smartphones came around, we we knew it was big, but we just didn't know what it would look like. And when Google first launched or Amazon or pets.com, you didn't know which one was going to be successful and what it would look like. You just knew you were in an exciting time. And I think we're in that same sort of age right now with artificial intelligence. So it's a really exciting time.
1: Okay, I love it. What are you excited about?
0: So when you look at artificial intelligence, What it does, so I have a a background in epidemiology. And when you think about like mathematical models, in the past, what we could do is do like a regression model where you have some data points, you draw a line through it and say, this is a general direction where things are going. And that gave us things like the Framingham equation, which tells you your risk of heart disease. You put in some numbers, it gives you a risk factor. The next thing that sort of came along was machine learning. So anybody who has a phone knows that it will find pictures that look like your kid or yourself or your spouse or whatever. And you never sat and labeled every photo. This is my kid, this is me. It just says, hey, these things all kind of look alike. And that's machine learning. It like understands these patterns in data, even though it's not um, uh, ones and zeros in the sense of numerical data, it's image. And, and it still figures out those trends. Generative AI, which is sort of the latest version of AI, what that does is they've done these things they call foundational models where they map the entire internet. Which like is just mind-boggling to think about that, like every relationship possible in the internet, like um, who's a present, who's the spouse, who's their kids, where do they live, like, and that expand that to everything. So you sort of have this like compute computational understanding of the world. And then the programming language is English. You just say, hey, so what does this mean uh if you say like write me a poem or summarize for me uh Shakespeare's works? And it can it can do these incredible things with this. And I have my sense is this is going to have important implications for health, just as it will for many other fields. So, there's a lot of chatter about
1: AI, and there's so many techs that are being built around it, solutions that are being built around it. Um, Where do you see when it comes to health, like as just a human health standpoint? Do you see that there's going to be some? It's going to first interface with the wearables. Or do you think that it's going to be more meta global awareness about how people are doing um, in general to be able to map up against them? So reference points. So again, is it a single point solution? Is it a reference point? It's. I know it's yes to both of those, and or is there something else that is is getting you excited about um, the overall yeah. booming of of wearables? It's Especially yes and yeah. honestly, yeah, for sure. And it's
0: just because there's so many applications of it. So I'll start for the, sort of from the wearables performance side of it and then head over to the health side of the, of the house, as it were. Cool. Um, on the wearable side, I I support Fitbit. I've been thinking about wearables for many years. I've worked on other stuff before that. Um, and one of the – so wearables are fascinating. So it started with 10,000 steps. Great step counters was actually a fun fact is like the 10,000 steps number came from the Tokyo Olympics. It just has a great ring in Japanese, so it's a marketing term. I don't. But it like, it, 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 we should pause here for a minute. Sure. <laughs> right? we, <Go> for
1: it. <laughs> yeah, we should pause here. Um, I, both of us are well aware of like where that came from. And, yes. But I, it, it's kind of like the 10,000 hour rule. That doesn't really exist. <laughs> you know, Malcolm Gladwell went on. And yet it's right a useful saying, construct. It's a useful construct. And so it's not a, a construct of precision necessarily exactly. so so just open this up a little bit st- and i think this will help sure. folks go oh so i don't need to get ten thousand in you know, yeah that's no not you the don't number. <laughs> yeah so al- although but, would you say more is better or would you say less is better
0: so it, it really i'll do the doctor answer it depends um uh, yeah. <laughs> okay come on so, um, okay, yeah, yeah. all right so so here's here's what it depends upon um if you look at the guidelines, and there's a 770-page document that summarizes the physical activity recommendations in the United States and a similar one across the world. So if you ever have insomnia, that would be a starting point. Uh, kidding. Um, but it's, it's a dense document that describes all the research that has gone into this space. And one of the, I can summarize that for you in six words. Move more, huff and puff sometimes. And those are the two main recommendations. Move more is where the step count comes in. So if you take, I think you've said it, we're professional sitters. So if you get people moving, that is good for their health. And depending on which study you quote, some will say benefits start as early as going to like four or 5,000 steps. But they keep going. And so the most benefit you have with almost any intervention, if you've done any weightlifting, if you've done anything, you see the quickest gains when you go from like a pretty low level to the next level up. And then to, if you're an elite athlete to get that, ne- squeeze out that next extra percent, it takes an incredible amount of work. So the most health benefits you see are when you get the most energy people moving, not to 10,000 steps, just to five or 6,000, whatever they were, a little bit more. If you're a high performer, shoot for 10, shoot for 12. Like that will get you more benefits. And, and at some point you reach injury levels. So like you don't want to be like 30,000 steps a day or something ridiculous like that. But 10,000 is actually a pretty reasonable number for the average, relatively healthy person. And there's, there's good science behind that. Um, and, and even though it gets mocked a lot with the, like, it came from the Olympics or the marketing campaign, it just is, is not grounded in science, directionally it is. And so mm. take from that what you will in your own lives and just move more. Okay. Quick pause here to
1: share some of the sponsors of this conversation. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Bub's Naturals. Like you, I am mindful about what I put into my body. So for me, it usually comes down to ingredients and simplicity. The shorter the list, the better. And that's why I've been loving Bub's Naturals. Bubs creates products with high quality, all natural ingredients that are designed to help us get after the adventures in life. For years, I've been a huge fan of their hydrate or die electrolyte mix. I mean, that's a fun title for a product, isn't it? It only has six total ingredients. It's packed with electrolytes. I love the taste, no added sugar, no artificial flavors, none of that stuff. It's great for post-workout recovery. That's when I use it. And I also use it during long periods of travel, which I've been doing a lot lately. And so thank you for the hydration here. And a ton of athletes that I know swear by them too. They're currently in just about every MLB locker room. They work closely with the Red Sox, the Yankees, I know the Rangers, Cardinals, Diamondbacks, and, and many more, of course. I'd love for you to go check them out. I think they're doing a really nice job. Just head to bubsnaturals.com slash findingmastery and enter the code Finding Mastery at checkout for 20% off your first purchase. Again, that's bubsnaturals, b-u-b-s, Naturals, B-U-B-S naturals.com slash findingmastery with the code Finding Mastery for 20% off your first purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Hims. Hims is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-informed treatments for erectile dysfunction, ED, hair loss, weight loss, and more. Health struggles like ED are common, but they can be hard to talk about when it comes to finding a solution. That's why Hims has been a game changer for so many men. The entire process is 100% online, and if prescribed... Your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms, no pharmacy visits. Plus, you can manage your plan directly on the Hims app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. So if your loved one has been struggling with ED, I really want to encourage you to go check out Hims. And I know ED often has a psychological component as well. So be sure that you're stacking some psychological best practices into your daily routine as well. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com/slash finding mastery. That's hymns h-i-m-s.com/slash finding mastery for your personalized treatment options. Hymns.com/slash finding mastery. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash EOF for details and important safety information. Subscription required price varies based on product and subscription plan. And now back to the conversation. That's good. I I appreciate that. And I I think it it is important to know part of origin stories of where these quote quote, unquote standards or rules come from, and they're less precise than we would like to admit sometimes. So um, I love that. Okay, cool. And Sitting as the new smoking that's been around for a long time, you know, that yes. idea. And yep. so when you say huff and puff, you're not talking about vaping.
0: No, thank you. We uh, should be no. clear, right? No, we should be clear. Not about that. Not about sex. Like this is, it could take many different kinds things. Whoa, you just took sex to huffing and What kind of sex are we having? Jeez. Somebody talk, I, I, I've said this before and somebody's like, I mean... Like, my husband would be very happy to hear I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Not, <laughs> not what I meant. Not, I'm like, good. okay. okay. Um, All right. So, but but the, the thing about these kinds of conversations, like you say something, and I feel like we'll remember those six words because of that. Um, yeah, and, no, and so the, really... the huff and puff is, um, it, it's condensed version of moderate to vigorous physical activity. So there's three levels of physical activity. There's light physical activity, which is like taking steps. And then there's moderate to vigorous physical activity. And so if you get your heart racing a bit and huff and puff, like you get out of breath, that's typically in the moderate to vigorous range. And it could be a moderate level, could even be a brisk walk, a gentle bike ride, something like that. Typically vigorous is like a run, you know, something a little bit more than that. And what the guidelines recommend is 75 minutes, a minimum of 75 minutes a week of moder- uh, vig- vigorous physical activity. 150 minutes of moderate or some combination thereof. Okay, That's total, hard to even say, total, let alone total, like wrap well, your head around. No, no, no.
1: Let's do this again. Sorry to step on. This is really important. That's What, okay. are, you rec- what are you recommending for a week? Um, yeah. Yeah. So do that one more time. So That's for cool. a week,
0: 75 minutes of vigorous. It's like three 25-minute workouts. Yep. Or 150 minutes of moderate. So like okay. if you do a you know 30-minute brisk walk, five days a week. That will get you to the goal or
1: some combination. For our folks that are super into it, is that is the 75 minutes,
0: um, is that zone three, four and five? So I'm not familiar with the zone numbers, but the the way we calculate it. Okay. Oh, go ahead. Tell me about your zones and and I'll tell you. Yeah, zone one to five, like five is like um, my heart
1: is pounding through my chest. Like I'm, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, so, I want so to my guess is three r- I, yeah. three
0: or four would be moderate and then four or five would be bigger. So my guess is like 150 minutes of three, or, you know, if you're getting to four and five, then 75 minutes. Of that I think,
1: I think it's probably two and three. We should, we should cr- like, do you, we should cross check this? Yeah. Heart rate percentages that you're working from, and I can help map which zones those would be And And I, I want to give you a fun applied way to think about it too, But do you, are you working, when you say um, 75 minutes of vigorous, do you have a percentage
0: of heart rate that you're, uh, yeah, so um, 50 to 75 uh, is, is the moderate and then above 75 is vigorous.
1: Oh, you're right. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you nailed it then.
0: Okay, perfect. So four and five, so So I would go two and 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 three,
1: two and three as the, as moderate and then um, four and five as
0: vigorous. As vigorous. It's, it's typically that much. And, and, and this is where the 770 pages go in. Because then they're like, well, how do you define this? And is it like 220 minus age? Or is it like heart rate reserve? And you can really geek out on this stuff. And that's why I try and I shrink it down. Because I'm like, yes, we should. And it's important stuff. But but the problem with that is like every fitness magazine is like, there's a new thing. You should work out at 11 a.m. every day. I'm like, no. The best time to work out is when you can. Because then you'll do it. Like, if you are convinced that that's the only time that is good for working out, then you're likely just not going to do it if that's not convenient for okay. you, right? So let's go. Uh, yes, and
1: it depends. <laughs> now we both used it, <laughs> okay? Yes. Like, yes, and if if the only time you can work out, this is where it gets tricky, A little tricky is is let's call it 8 p.m. Yep. And you want to fall asleep by 10:30. Sure. Yeah, right, yeah. We, we're going right. to have problems in that. Like that, that effectively that becomes problematic. I've learned as I've gotten older is that fitness, like after 6 PM, I'm having a hard time. It's, I wish it weren't so doc, but like, if I'm, if I drop my last weight or my last rep and I've done, you know, some intense work, I I'm taking too long not to recover. Like I can get my heart rate down in a functional way, just
0: fine, which is a nice
1: indicator of health or fitness, I should say. But like my whole system doesn't know you've got adrenaline
0: down. surging through and you're, you're too wired for that. Okay.
1: So this is a good, okay. Before I get, I, I, I nerd out too much further with you is how long does it take for the average person? I don't know what that really means anymore, but for most people to process adrenaline. So you get a hit of adrenaline. You're about to walk yeah, yeah. on stage, uh, your roller coaster moment. Um, somebody says, I love you and you didn't realize it, you know, like there's (laughs) adrenaline. That one might take, that
0: one might take (laughs) (laughs) years. So acute adrenaline, how long does it take to process once it's online? You know, I don't have the precise answer for this. The scientist me wants to like research this for you and and give you a, a very precise number, but it's at least a couple hours. And so, okay, I this is where the 90 minutes. I usually say it takes about
1: 45 to 90 minutes to clear. You think it's that it sounds about later. right. I, my 40, guess okay. is
0: in one to two hours. And so that sort of falls within the 45 to 90. But like, that's an educated guess. So I could look that up. I think we should both,
1: we owe it to each other a little bit. Cause I think it's a,
0: I think this is a good question
1: for, well, it's one has to do with cardiac health or, um, yeah, um, heart health. But at the same time, like, I just want to frame why I'm interested in that is because, yeah. um, there's this misnomer that once a, once you feel butterflies or nervousness or excitement yeah, yeah, yeah. however you frame the internal activation of i call it just Your being the nervous system essentially, yeah, yeah once the sympathetic switches on that there's this idea well if i could just breathe and think better i'll be okay y- yeah but you still got adrenaline coursing and that's so a big yes end an right agita- like so in that, there agitating- are exercises yeah. you
0: can do to bring it down right like there are but it's still mindsets, in the system
1: it's yeah, like breathing, self talk, that, 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 that. All like, of that stuff helps. And so that helps. So that yes. helps
0: you bring it down. So the surge of adrenaline isn't, an, isn't a blip, right? It's a wave. And so as you're riding that wave, if you're doing the thing, you can bring the, you can change the trajectory of it. And so it, it, it comes down slower rather than the long tail where you're like, if you did nothing, right? Like you got this burst. You went on stage, whatever, and you then went to the bar to hang out some more and blah, blah, blah. By the time you get to bed, you haven't done anything to – that slope, that gradient a, is still going. Whereas if you finish your presentation, whatever, right, and, and you know you're still going to go out for dinner, but you take the break to be like, do some deep breathing, center yourself. Do the, do the things that activate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is the balance, the rest that brings that down that curve – yeah, and then you know, rest and digest. That's right. Sorry, technical term. Um, so you want to go from fight, fight or flight to rest and digest. And so it, it is this awareness and this this sort of understanding the effects on your body of different stimuli that I'll bring it back is what wearables are incredibly useful for.
1: Yeah. Okay. I right. like how you brought that back and I'm going to stay so if here. We, as, if we go back I, I to like, stay, Hey, I want to stay here one more time. I want to stay here one more time. <laughs> I know you do. I know. Okay. You, you round us home on wearables and then I'm going to, I'm going to come back one more time to the heart. <laughs> do
0: you want to do your comeback thing? And then, and <laughs> yeah. then we'll, we'll take it back okay. up. <laughs> All right, good.
1: All right. So the vigorous activity, 75 yes. minutes over the course yeah, yeah. of a week. I'm really excited about there's a emerging research on rehit. so hit is yep. high interval uh yeah, high yeah. intensity interval training and rehit yep. is reduced exertion high intensity interval training and it, it was first introduced um by a technology company which i love i'll give them a plug right now it's called okay. carol the, the carol okay. bike and um i i i i wish i had founder stock on this which i <laughs> I, don't, I, I just, I love it maybe one day, but like, yeah, I yeah. really like what they're doing. So they're finding the benefits of a 45 minute run from a cardiovascular health standpoint that they're, they're finding that they can get it in as short as five to seven minutes. And mm-hmm. right. I, I hear the, hmm, that's what I did. And so I'll just describe it to, you. it's like uh two minutes walking pace on a bike, 20 yeah, yeah. seconds, flat out. Yeah. It's Yeah, flat out. And it's, it's like at the right tension. And then Mm -hmm. there's another kind of two and a half minute, or I am taking about one and a half minute break Uh, again, walking pace on the bike, 20 seconds, as if a wildebeest was chasing you and they figured out the right mechanism that your, your wheels are spinning, but there's the right resistance where it feels really hard. Like I want to stop after 10 seconds. And my my heart is pounding out of the chest. My wife, you know, first time she watched me goes, I don't think this is safe. <laughs> like, you know, like It's that type of, you know, intensity. Yeah, yeah. and so and she's super fit. So she's laughing. But um, so like, have you got your arms around some of the rehit um data or what I just described in some version? Yeah.
0: So I haven't looked into that specifically. What I'll tell you is I'll, the broader sort of evidence base. And um, so now we're like deep in the weeds and I'm going to hang out here for a little bit longer then. Thank so you. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> the, the way this breaks down is as follows. So when you look at the literature between science of exercise and cardiovascular outcomes, there's a couple of ways you connect those dots. One is you just look at a large group of people and say, hey, look, the ones who do more exercise tend to be healthier. That's association, not causation, as any scientist knows. Mm-hmm. And so then you're like, well, let's do some causal stuff and see if we can figure out in smaller studies. So like if you make them work out, look, their cholesterol goes down. And we know cholesterol is associated with bad heart disease. Oh, look, they are less likely to get diabetes or their A1C, which is a diabetes mark, comes on. So therefore, you know, that's, that's therefore, it's probably directionally correct, right? We haven't yet done the study where you say you take, uh, and we have the technology to do this. We just haven't done it. No one's paid for this yet. Is you take 100,000 people for half of them, you give them a, you know, get your 75 minutes a week at least of vigorous and 150 minutes a week of moderate. And the other half, you say, live your life and you see you know if heart rate heart attack rates come down or things like that we don't have that data we have enough in the other stuff that between association and smaller studies that we think it's all correct then when you look at things like the rehit they take that a step further and they're like well the thing that seems to be the the, the correlation between exercise and cardiovascular outcomes is cardiovascular fitness so you look at like vo2 mm-hmm. max things like that which is like just how much you can you can get your body to do So we'll take that as a proxy. And what's the quickest way we can increase your VO2 max, your cardiovascular fitness, and therefore we're improving cardiovascular health. And so yes, theoretically, these kinds of workouts could improve your cardiovascular fitness. And therefore that small causation could possibly associate with cardiovascular outcomes. But we haven't seen, we obviously haven't done it at that scale to be sure that that's all correct. The risk that, that these kinds of things, as a cardiologist, where I see most people run into trouble is my mantra for most people that I talk to is start low and go slow, right? If you, if you really push yourself, it's one thing if you're an athlete and you're a professional or a semi-professional athlete, you've done this life, you understand your body, you know how to push yourself. Most people who are sedentary don't. And when they start doing something like this, the risk of injury, the risk of heart attacks actually goes up. So, if you look at the exercise and heart attack data, there is a peak of risk of heart attack when you start exercising. It goes up. And the reason mm-hmm. it goes up is because people do crazy things. And so, when you look at take out the people who were sedentary before and did the sudden burst of intense activity, that disappears. So, that's the risk with these kinds of programs. Like, they take a lot of this sort of Causation is likely because of these associations and they turn into programs, which for the average relatively healthy person they're selling to is fine. But when you start putting that at population scale, you you run to real risk.
1: Mm, okay. So you would suggest start slow, mm-hmm. get, build your base, Absolutely. warm up to the intensity that feels right to you. And then for folks that are unfamiliar with what strain yes. cardiovascular strain feels like, how would you titrate up? I don't even know if that's a phrase, but. Yeah, no, that's would,
0: right. So there's something called the Borg scale you may have heard of, right? Like, which oh, is like sure. self perceived exertion. So, like, yeah. at, check in with your body. Like, if this feels too hard, then stop or slow down.
1: Well, that, but that's so subjective, meaning, you know, you're talking about rate of perceived exertion, right? Mm-hmm. RPE. Yeah. Yep. It's really, it, that, that's what I mean. It's very subjective. And so that's maybe what, what we do, come in. that's where wearables, that's what it's okay. So, perfect. So, kind of like, boundary. you can
0: check your heart rate data right? And if you're in, as you were calling it, zone five, and you're flat out and you're close to your max heart rate, slow down, right? Like there's a whole company, the Orange Theory Fitness, that does like the orange sort of zone based on heart rate. So there's ways to do it where you're in that, objectively, in that zone that you need to be at. Um, And and I'll, I'll close this out with like, part of the reason I'm passionate about this stuff is I was part of, at Google, we relaunched uh, Google Fit a few years ago as part of that team. And they're like, hey, we need to, like, re- revive this app and so we're going to do a new version. But what I said is you should make it scientific. And so for the first time, we partnered with the World Health Organization and the American Heart Association. The WHO had never partnered with any tech company before. They are very nervous about the whole thing. We got them to partner. And it was great. So people actually appreciated it. We made metrics that mapped to... MVPA that it was called Heart points on Fitbit, we call them active zone minutes, but you just get 150 a week and we'll do the math and all that stuff for you. So it was really a way of like taking this, all this great data that we have, all this great science that we have, not perfect, but pretty good. And now we can reach millions of people in a way that makes sense for them, give them metrics that they can use to tighten it up and, and get to like the health benefits um, that, you know, from the available science we know exist.
1: I'm going to pause the conversation here for just a few minutes to talk about our sponsors. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Apollo Neuro. I am really excited about what Apollo Neuro is building. If you haven't had the chance yet, I highly recommend that you go check out the conversation I had with our co-founder, Dr. David Rabin, on the podcast. It is well worth a listen. Unlike traditional wearables that simply track your biometrics, Apollo is doing it totally differently. Apollo Neuro is designed to actively improve your health by enhancing sleep, relaxation, energy, and focus. So how's it work? Developed by neuroscientists and physicians, Apollo delivers these soothing little vibrations. They call them Apollo vibes that are like music your body can feel. More rapid vibrations help to improve your energy and focus, while the slower vibrations help to promote rest and digest in your body. And the best part for me, they're grounded in good science. Apollo has been tested by thousands of users in clinical and real-world trials. I would love for you to give it a go. It's making a meaningful difference in my life. And because you're listening to this podcast, you can receive an exclusive 15% off an Apollo wearable. Just head to Apolonuro.com/slash finding mastery and use the code FINDINGMASTERY at checkout. This is an exclusive offer. It's only for us here at Finding Mastery. So be sure to use the code at checkout. Again, that's Apollo, A-P-O-L-L-O, Apollo, Neuro, N-E-U-R-O, neuro.com slash Finding Mastery, or use the code FINDINGMASTERY at checkout for 15% off your purchase. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Cured, if there's one big rock to get into the container when it comes to dialing in your wellness, one thing that stands out among the rest is sleep. Whether it be improved physical health, mental health, performance, creativity, quality sleep is the gift that keeps on giving. And I'm sure many of you are familiar with the science that supports that. And if you're struggling with sleep or you just want to dial it in a bit further, Cured's Zen formula just might be a great solution for you. Zen is a nootropic that is formulated by Cure's very own in-house clinical herbalist, and it contains a blend of reishi mushroom, ashwagandha, chamomile, passionflower, and broad-spectrum CBD. That is a powerhouse combination. Zen could be a great little addition to your bedtime routine. They recommend taking it about 45 minutes before hopping into bed to let the reishi and ashwagandha and chamomile and the CBD do their thing. So right now, as you're listening to this podcast, Cured is hooking you up with a great offer. You can try Zen for 20% off when you visit curednutrition.com slash finding mastery and you use the code finding mastery at checkout. That's cured, C-U-R-E-D, curednutrition.com slash finding mastery and enter the code finding mastery at checkout to save 20%. And with that, Let's jump right back into this conversation So what are wearables doing well, and where are they falling short right now?
0: Yeah so wearables have come a long way since the ten thousand steps, which is where they started. Um, yeah. They now track your sleep um, I know you're wearing an or a ring, but yeah. of many types right like so watches, rings, et cetera um, they can check uh, your not just your sleep but also like if you have irregular heart rhythm and you're at risk for atrial fibrillation, which is a a heart rhythm disorder that increases your risk of stroke fivefold. Um, that's uh, uh, Apple and Fitbit only. Um, but th- there's a whole bunch of applications, and the mental health stuff is super exciting, which I can also go into. But wearables have come a long way from just tracking steps to tracking a whole bunch of variables. I think where we're sort of the frontier that we're at now is how to integrate them into the rest of the health system right? So many clinicians still don't understand what I do with this wearable data. Somebody comes in to to a cardiologist's office or a primary care doctor's office with a new diagnosis of hypertension. And most people, most doctors and clinicians, includes nurse practitioners, et cetera, will be like, hey, do some more exercise, Uh, eat better, like a DASH diet or something like that, which stands for dietary approach to stop hypertension and just lower in salt, more in fruits and vegetables, things like that. Good luck. I'll see you in six months. Right. Mm-hmm. And yet we have these tools where you can be like, you know, um, wearable or Fitbit or whatever, and we'll check in on you. And, and in a month or so, I'll give them just a call like, hey, what are, you, what are your step counts? What are your active zone minutes doing? And are you meeting the guidelines? And so we, we're sort of falling short on the entire world is having increasing rates of chronic disease. We have tools wearables and, and not just wearables but other many digital even non-digital tools so we have you know the solution what we're ha- having trouble with is integrating those in way and delivering them in scalable ways which is a, something i'm passionate about something i work on every day but it's, it's just a huge shortcoming what is the shortcoming we're not implementing we're not scaling yeah we're not okay. reaching so
1: the people who need it we're selling the product but the intervention is not where it needs to be is that is that what you're I saying, think i think we're
0: not that? we just we don't there's just not enough people have these tools and not enough clinicians in the system know how to integrate that with it's so much easier for somebody to write a prescription for high blood pressure pills
1: 100 yeah so I,
0: I i see where you're going
1: from the point of contact of a physician or um a licensed professional yes. that the integration at that level is not rich and it, I, I, I see where it's even beyond the, that right
0: like if you think about okay. it if you have high blood pressure, and I have to write you a prescription, there's a me- mechanism for me to write it. There's a mechanism for you to fill it. There's a mechanism for you to pay for it, and there's even like pillboxes to make it easy for you to take it home, right? Like every single step of the way has been completely thought through. Whereas for this stuff, they're like, "Good luck."
1: Uh, you know, I love this thought because the, the the switched on physicians will say, "Okay, let's talk about nutrition or let's talk about your movement or whatever," but then they go. They, they, many of them will stop because they're out of scope, out of training, and they'll make suggestions to lifestyle, which, okay, that it's good, but I love the track that you're saying it's not on the right mechanism so much so that in elite sport, you couldn't find a coach still can't, um, or, or elite athlete that doesn't say the mental part of the game is important. And yet in the flow of business, I'm sorry, in the flow of sport, it's not, there's not a segment in the day that says mental training and right, right, until, until exactly. the last, like, say seven years. Yep. And that's really what I spent a bunch of time trying to, with coach Carol, really mechanizing that mm-hmm. training. And if it's not in the rhythm of day of, of one's day and it's left to extra, I think it's, it's too much to ask. It falls and, off. yeah it falls off like who's got extra time
0: no one has extra time
1: you have to build it in. you have to make it part of the system i love that you're saying this keep can you keep going one more layer on what the vision that you're holding for um companies what they could do yeah um, or organizations could do to help
0: increase the quality of their people's lives i'll give you two examples of projects that um, i've been involved in and it sort of gives you the potential of wearables and then I can sort of extend it to how this will affect companies and so on. Okay. So one is, uh, I'll, I'll double down on the mental health just because um, you mentioned that example. So wearables now can, uh, particularly Fitbit, can track things like heart rate variability, which is a sign of stress, but also something called um, electrodermal activity, which is essentially the sweatiness of your skin. Uh, anyone who's watched a movie with a light detector test, that's what that is. And so when you lie, you have the sympathetic, fight or flight response, and your skin gets sweaty. Now, what Fitbit has is a passive sensor that senses 24-7 this mechanism. My PhD thesis was depression after heart disease. And anytime I had to figure out something about depression as a psychologist, you'd appreciate this. I'd have to either ask a question on a questionnaire or interview the person, right? It's like, hey, how are you feeling? Are you depressed? How about now? How about now? And it's like, it's very frustrating as a as a subject, trying to like deal with your own mental health issues to then have this added layer of like interrogation. And so having a passive sensor is phenomenal. So how do you use that? What good is that? Right. So we partnered with a, a company that works with substance use disorder people. And what they did was they said, if they notice some changes, like a resting heart rate that's high, they'll just pop up a message on the on the wearable that says, Do you want to talk to somebody? Now it could be somebody like A situation like we're in right now, I'm talking, I'm excited, my heart rate's up, I'm at rest, but my heart rate's up. I say, no. Or it could be, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking about using, my heart rate's going up because I'm withdrawing and I'm desperate. And I say, yes. And so then I get the opportunity to talk to somebody in my moment of need. And they, on their end, have counselors, but as opposed to like, hey, we'll talk to this guy on Monday and these guys on Tuesday, they're reaching people at the moment of need, right? So phenomenal way of like, Taking a wearable, a huge mental health need and connecting those. That's one example. A second one is going back to like connecting with a health system. So in the UK, in the pandemic, um, this hospital system was looking to, uh, figure out how to connect with patients virtually because they couldn't bring them in for their rehab. So after a heart attack, you do something called cardiac rehab. People come in three times a week, exercise and gradually increase up. We help them out, send them some Fitbits and, what they found was that people loved it. They felt connected to the hospital. The nurses could call them up and say, "Hey, how are your steps? How are your sleep?" This mechanism of building in lifestyle as part of it, and then they started taking their medicines more because they felt cared for. They quit smoking at higher rates. Um, the outcomes from that program were like phenomenally better than what they were doing before, which is in person, which you would think would be better because they would actually like, talk to people one on one. And so these kinds of things, right? Like if you imagine that, you can then have that same sort of benefit at a slightly less acuity level with employees or teams where you know you can have a a incentive first of all is just raise awareness for everybody like insight into what are my sleep patterns like what are my movement patterns like And, and start to understand that because those things affect work performance right like if in the end you want somebody to perform well and they've got social jet lag where they're sleeping in on the weekends and um, having a normal sleep pattern uh, through the week, Monday morning's gonna suck because they've overslept on Saturday and Sunday and their body's like thinking, I'm gonna oversleep again, it's Monday, right? So things like that. Um, If you're an an airline, like, uh, you know, um, and, and we've done this with truckers, for example, or any kind of shift worker that's working odd hours, things like that, understanding those patterns can be incredibly helpful. But then you can build community. You can create groups of folks that engage with each other, support each other. Like, hey, you know, when I was trying to quit smoking, when I was trying to take more steps, fix my sleep, here's what I did, that might work for you. So just employees, right, like building community, building, you know, understanding awareness and insight on their own bodies and performance and health so that they can do better at work, but also have better health for themselves.
1: Okay, so let's do a two-part on this. One is... It's very clear that many of us don't know exactly what to do with the data. So, yep. we are getting better at, as a community of knowing what the yep. data means. So the community it, it's good and the the tech players are doing better with taking data and making it actionable and usable, yep. right? And so okay. there's there's a meeting in the middle that's taking place and there's all types of compromises that need to happen oh, from sure. an organizational standpoint to make something medical grade to, you know, commercial. Like there's Yep. So we gotta we gotta just remember it's not it's not exactly pure. We're still at the no. the beginning yeah, stages of, marquee, of commercial closer. data. Okay. And that being said, is when I get um, when I get information back, uh, there's two things that I would love for you to talk through. One sure. is what to do, what in what data you're most interested in and mm-hmm. how you apply it in your life. Part two is um, what do you do with it? data and i'll i'll double click on that one for a minute i just need to say it out loud so for the first part is just use yourself as an example what data are you most interested in and what do you do with it yeah
0: so um for for you know we get a we have a lot of data and and wearables are wonderful because they give you a lot of this data um to some extent it depends on what your goals are and what you're where you're at right if you're super athletic and, and are already pretty physically fit then that's going to be less interesting to you than maybe your sleep patterns or your stress and so on. So there's that component of it. So me personally, where I, I, I am very interested in the science of these things. So I focus a lot on physical activity because that has the really great science. And so steps and then moderate vigorous physical activity, as we've discussed sleep. So we partnered with the American Academy of Sleep Medicine theme here about trying to put science into products. And in two of their main recommendations, we've tried to sort of make front and center, which is uh, duration. So at least uh, seven hours, it depends on the person, but six to eight hours of sleep. And, and that's actually become not just the sleep thing. It's become part of the American Heart Association guidelines too, around heart disease, because we know there's a connection between poor sleep. And so one is duration. The second is consistency. So like trying to avoid the social jet lag, like same time to bed, same time to wake up and things like that. There's a whole bunch of like um, other things you can do around sleep as in, um, try and wind down better and all of those kinds of things. But just generally speaking, those are the two data points that I so physical activity, sleep. And then on the mental health thing, what I tend to try and recognize are patterns. And so if your sensor that, that does the skin conductance or your heart rate variability are trying to show you that, like every Friday at 3 p.m., you get the alert that, hey, you were stressed around this time and maybe there's a meeting there that is always stressful for you, then try and do the deep breathing, the exercises that activate your parasympathetic, your rest and digest nervous system to try and either before or after or both to try and like sort of mitigate the mental stress that comes with that context. Um, And so those are in order like my personal set of priorities, but that doesn't have to be yours, right? Depends what you're working on. So
1: like to oversimplify, if you're it's th- what i'm about to ask is more like the panama canal than it is any sort of forced rank meaning the panama canal everything has to work together well for it to work But yeah. um when you when you're interested in heart health and it comes down to your choices like movement nutrition mm-hmm. psychological practices sleep like how do you think about organizing priorities there
0: yeah so um as a clinician, it tends to be like get people to stop smoking. Honestly, is like the one of the big things. So you get that out of there. What percentage of the
1: U.S. is smoking?
0: It's getting lower, which is great. Um, a lot of the taxes and um, things like indoor smoking bans and stuff have helped. Um, still, too many. Like I want to say, like twenty percent, and it depends by age and location. There's a whole bunch of variations, but still, okay. too many people. And I, uh, so that's one bit. And then okay. physical activity, nutrition. But nutrition is complicated there's, the data is even murkier than physical activity and then sleep and psychological, even though, and then it sort of depends on like, hey, if you're hitting some of those and we sort of re-rank, um, the data for the the lower the lower ones is just not as robust because we're not studied it as long. It does mean that they're less important.
1: Here's where I start to, how I, how I tend to think yeah, about yeah. it is I need all of them and yes. I'm not smoking, so check the box, like that's that's easy. I it's do want to get to yeah. alcohol. Um, uh, and cause I know that there's a risk for heart health there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the way that I think about it is maybe a bit contrarian is that if I've got my right exercise in, I'm eating, you know, uh, organic fish and grilled vegetables yeah. and I've got sleep consistent and uh, high quality sleep and I'm, I'm good there. And I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I hit the worry button and then I'm <laughs> agitated and irritated sure. and I'm intolerant. And I've got a pessimistic framework and I feel anxious and agitated and irritated and I'm pessimistic and something goes a bit sideways and I exponentially a bit more agitated and irritated. And then I'm really drained now by 1130. Okay. And then I choose to eat vegetables and organic grilled fish. I think that I'm, I've just become one of the most inefficient humans. It's like I've stockpiled all this great resource building, um, just a resource, uh, building. Mm-hmm. And then I've just opened up the valve and let it all flows, which is a problem because my psychology is not sound. So sure. I, I know I'm saying this and I am a psychologist, but I can't imagine that you, me, um, because I've lived it. I know this. I've, I've exercised well, eat well, yeah. got my sleep right. And I was still anxious. And it was because my psychology was not dialed in. Right. Oh no for sure so like
0: i in in yeah. i do want to emphasize that just because i ranked it that way this is sort of an and not a or yeah it's it's not that it's less important right like i i, I did a phd on depression like and heart disease because mm-hmm. of that connection so yeah it's something that i i think deeply about and it it is important it's just that when you look at the physical activity literature and you take somebody who's sedentary and get them moving The impact on heart health is much easier to track than if you take somebody like yourself and you get from anxious to less anxious, and that impact on heart health, partly because you're doing all the other stuff so well that Mm -hmm. your risk has already gone pretty low. Right. Yeah, that's
1: super interesting. So, and again, I can make the contrarian argument as well as like my psychology is great, I'm eating really well, I'm not moving and not sleeping. Yeah. Okay.
0: Like I, it's. You sort of need it's, it all. Like, that's yeah. the bottom line. Like, and it's what I kind of love about your podcast and, and about like finding mastery, right? Like it's this, you want to not just function. You want to, you want to master in whatever mm. it is you're trying to master. You need the foundation. You need a good sound body. You need a good sound mind. And then you sort of keep working on. and And in my mind, mastery doesn't have to be athletic, right? It doesn't have to be, ceo of the company it could be like hey i'm working my marriage i'm i want to be more present as a dad and i take care of my kids whatever it is that's meaningful to you right like if if becoming a better father was important but you kind of have to stick around to be healthy um you kind of have to be nice to them so make sure your mental state is is okay right and and then you sort of keep working on the edges of like oh well i got irritated here or i didn't you know And so you can take that framework and say like, these are all foundational principles that you need for a a fulfilled, like wonderful life. And and we have access to the tools to get there.
1: And now one final word from our sponsors. Finding Mastery is brought to you by AG1. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know what a big supporter I am of AG1. And it's almost been for a decade now. So I love what they're doing. It's something I drink just about every day. And part of their marketing slogan is that it's a nutritional insurance program. And like, I just, I love that. That's the way it feels for me. And that's because each serving of AG1 delivers a dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and so much more. It is a powerful, healthy habit. That's also powerfully simple. I like to take it first thing in the morning, which is also recommended for optimal nutrient absorption. And so what I do is I just fill up my shaker. Add some cold water, a scoop of AG1 and a little squeeze of lemon. I shake it up and I'm ready to go. Or if I'm in a rush or, you know, I'm I'm ripping and running on the road, I just grab an AG1 travel pack to take with me. I feel great after drinking it, not only because of the nutritional insurance idea, but there's just a there's a sustenance that happens when I drink it. And I love recommending it to friends and family because I know AG1 is formulated with science informed rigor and the highest quality in mind. AG1 is a supplement I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I've loved partnering with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, I want to encourage you to give AG1 a try and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and also get five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to Drink AG1 com slash finding mastery. Again, that's drinkag1.com slash finding mastery. Finding mastery is brought to you by AquaTrue. We all know how important hydration is to performance and recovery and well-being, but it's not just about how much you drink. The quality of your water plays a big role. And if you're like me and you don't fully trust tap water, and I think for good reason, research by the Environmental Working Group has shown that three out of four homes in the u.s have harmful contaminants in tap water that's why i'm really excited to introduce aqua true their purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process and their countertop purifiers remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters it's incredible i can literally taste the difference in my water plus the filters are affordable and long-lasting just one set of filters from their classic purifier, makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That adds up to less than three cents per bottle. It feels great to know that all at once I'm saving money, getting the highest quality water for the Finding Mastery team, and helping make a positive impact on the environment by eliminating single-use plastics all the way around. Aquatrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, and it even makes a great gift. And right now, because you're a Finding Mastery listener you receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. So just go to AquaTrue.com. You spell it A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code FindingMastery at checkout. Again, that's AquaTrue.com. Enter the FindingMastery code at checkout to receive 20% off any purifier that you buy there. Let's jump right back into the conversation. I love that period, full stop. And then when it comes to the wearables and the tech to support it, I wanted, the, the second part of that question was what do yeah. you do with the data? And it, to be more specific, what I mean there is we are incredible instruments. The human brain mm-hmm. and mind yeah. and e- internal ecosystem is an, inc- I mean, it is a tuning fork at, you know, um, it's, remarkable. It's, the mo- it's the, yeah, it's like amazing what we can do. It's like, beyond words almost at some level. And I feel like we, I want to get your take on this because the wearable movement in some cases is numbing that tuning fork ability, meaning that we're externalizing our sense of being okay to look at data before yeah. we feel oh, sure. and calibrate. you know. So the, yeah. the best practice that I'm doing right now is before you look at your phone, before you look at your watch or whatever it might be, uh, first thing in the morning before you do that is see if you can guess what your numbers might be. See if you can get a sense of like, what was the quality of my sleep and go super simple, red, yellow, green, you know? And so do you have any thoughts about this?
0: Oh, absolutely. So a couple of things there. So one is, have you ever gone for a run and then realized you left your watch at home and feel like that doesn't count (laughs) because.
1: (laughs) it's going to throw off my algorithm for the entire year. Yeah.
0: So yeah. yes. Right. Like, cause we get validation by looking at your streaks by, and we, you know, designers like think of this, Hey, this will be fun. Like if we make it a streak, then people want to do it more and, and get them more physically active. So, you know, yes, there is that risk that comes with like, you got to step back and be like, okay, just cause like, I didn't track that run. Like you can either manually enter it or just know that it happened. And like, it's still good for you. Like, even if it's not in your, in your dashboard. Um, and, and the flip side is, I love what you said about the check in first or like guess. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two components to this there's the data and there's how you feel. And sometimes the two will align. Like, I, f- I felt like I slept great. And you look at your thing and it says, You slept great. Amazing. Sometimes they'll disagree and you should. Understand yourself, and this is part of this, like understanding yourself, well enough to know when to ignore it and when to say, "Hey, maybe I should dig deeper here." Right? Like, I slept great, and then it says, "No, you didn't." And you're like, "Huh?" And then it says that every night, and you're like, "Wait saying hey, honey, do I snore?" Like, and and yes, maybe you sleep apnea. Like, who knows, right? Like, but you just don't realize it because you. The flip side is like the thing tells you like, "Oh, you're yeah." Agitated, you're upset, or whatever it is. Like, oh no, man, I'm just i was having a fun conversation, and I'm not agitated. I'm just enjoying myself, and so you can ignore that data. So, like, sort of. So, one is just like not over indexing on it. Two is that self awareness and, and balancing that. The third is where technology comes in, which is super exciting. Is, um, you know, we talked earlier about this generative AI and and what it's able to do. So, one of the things we just recently released is where, um, the model the artificial intelligence will mine through all your data and then we'll say hey you know you're trying to improve your run time it's actually your sleep so like sleep a little bit more and let's try that again in a week this ai coach essentially um and we're still at the very beginnings of that right and you can imagine applications for everything from the ai coach for running to the ai coach for cardiac rehab to whatever else and Coaching is a wonderful thing. It is so hard to scale, and so, and, and part of it is because there's a human connection, right? Like you feel accountable to a coach. You don't feel accountable to a AI in the same way. And so, there's different ways this could scale up. Some of it is all AI. Some of it is like human in the loop, where they say, um, "Not, all, we'll have a, a human, but instead of like you only being able to coach, like I work with a, a personal trainer currently who has like 50 clients. Like, what if you could have 500 clients?" you know, 5,000 clients, what does that look like? And how can we use AI to take this person's knowledge, your knowledge maybe, and scale that up to not just every uh, footballer in the country, but to everybody in the country? It's, I mean,
1: it's an exciting future. Right. You know, if we can get some of this basic stuff right, um, and there's some real humanity stuff, we got to get right at the time of our recording. Um, You and I are geeking out about this, and there's a war that's just broke out. And, you know, there's some, we've got, you know, you know we've got some really brutal stuff happening but um okay not to make light of that in any way um
0: no no no. i mean it, it's so true like i work so hard like to save people in the hospital or like you know you spend decades training so you could do this or like
1: mm-hmm.
0: putting out products that like help people like maybe get a little healthier so over time You and then like gets blown up overnight it's just it's horrifying and, uh. and very maddening
1: do you think that there's a wearable that might be able to measure or improve psychological health?
0: We're getting closer, which is where I mentioned the EDA sensor. Um, and so we're starting to understand the ways to... It's really what you're getting is signals, physiologic responses from the the psychology. So I got a panic attack, a nightmare. So I had this huge surge of adrenaline, and you saw that on the EDA sensor that's where we're at currently. Um, there's some really interesting work. So a good friend of mine has, uh, young, but had a stroke and and can't speak. And so I was, I was reading this literature around like where they can understand brainwaves and use AI to turn that into speech. And that's super fascinating. And you can imagine a future where that, you know, maybe you don't need it to go all the way from that to speech. Maybe it's just anxiety, depression, things like Mm -hmm. that. There's a another person that I've um, met with recently who's working on a suicide prevention um, algorithm. And I could imagine like, um, you know, the suicidal ideation and thoughts, like if you could find a way to codify that as a signal, wouldn't that be amazing? Like, so they, suffice it to say, there's a ton of work happening in all sorts of wearable, but like really technologies around the mind and mental health and and this whole interface. And and COVID is just Turn up the dial on mental health, as, as you well know.
1: Yeah. So sure it's
0: it, it'll be interesting to see what shakes out. Like, there's there's a lot of promise, but I don't overhype anything.
1: Yet. That's a good position to be in. Do you see wearables moving to the per, periphery, or do you see them moving into integrated into fabric, or are you seeing them? Is are you seeing it moving into um, furniture?
0: None of the above. I. Th- it's weird, but like over the last decade, we've seen iterations of all of that right like there people have come out with pendants and um even like things that clip into bras or uh, jackets uh google had a project with levi's around a smart jacket and the form factor of the watch just seems to work and and maybe the ring Uh, and ring has some sizing issues and things but like there just isn't quite yet a form factor that has replaced the watch and and has reached widespread adoption it's not from lack of trying Um, so, so my guess is, I think the wearables are going to stay pretty much as a watch form factor and maybe a ring. I think what we're going to see is better sensors and newer sensors, more AI and and essentially compute compute on wearables, re- leading to more interesting applications.
1: Glasses and earbuds, you're you're rolling those out. Yeah, so I
0: think definitely earbuds um, are getting smarter and and are we're finding more and more health applications, and then you'll see multimodal, so like earbuds yep. plus watch tell you something, things like that. Right. Um, Google Glass was a thing a while ago and and sort of failed spectacularly. Um, Facebook has has it's, uh, yeah, you got to take your you know, losses too. Um, mm-hmm. Facebook has, or Meta has, as I think it's with Ray-Ban or as some kind of collaboration where they've had a couple of whacks of this as well. It just, it hasn't taken as a form factor. It might be different with AI where like you now have like more meaningful information as opposed to Again, from a health perspective, I'm not sure that you'd get more out of glasses, other than like as a consumer, than you would, you know, earbuds or watch or things
1: like and that. The ears were interesting. There was some stuff we were playing with a while back, maybe like ten years ago, on um, some of the um you know, using that for heart rate variability, using that mm-hmm. for like a haptic device. Yep. Um you could buzz, you know, your watch mm-hmm. can buzz a little bit too, but like yep. the hap we're playing around with how to um we're even considering um some of the uh gosh, I'm blanking on it now. Um oh my God. What's it call when you measure your brain activity?
0: EEG.
1: EEG, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. We were yeah, we were even using um that as one of the kind of ways to be thinking about EEG mm-hmm. data, which you know is fun. But um I remember early days, Nike Nike actually used the shoe as a place to be yeah, able to yeah. g- gather some feedback. So so you're seeing you're you're saying wrist um ring but ears more than more than glasses um yeah i mean google even
0: had a smart contact lens i was gonna say yeah 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 Yeah. yeah, they used to have
1: that that kind of faded away i've seen some Mm -hmm. really interesting contacts. uh not a head-up display i'm sure that that's happening but it was um it was more simple it was using um this was using color which is an interesting idea for (laughs) it's not really a tech it was no feedback loop so yeah, yeah. Sure that actually <laughs> okay so um given all the developments and the advances in wearables um you know we've been at this for over a decade now yeah. and is it working are we are we getting yes. healthier as a society
0: well so as a society we're not getting healthier right and i think if anything um we're exporting chronic disease to the rest of the world and what used to be mostly a Problem in Western Europe and America is now, we're seeing it in Sub Saharan Africa and in India and all sorts of things where they have far fewer resources to combat it. If you look at the sort of where wearables have been well applied, you can see impact. The problem is like the vast majority of people don't have access to those kinds of programs. And the structurally, our society is set up to send us down the path of chronic disease, right? I mean, this is way more, it's just sort of like, Structurally, we're really well set up to deliver medicines and pills and vaccines and things like that. So it's a much sort of bigger societal question than truly like our wearables moving the needle.
1: So okay, so double click. What do you mean here that we're exporting our chronic issues? What what does that mean?
0: Yeah. So you know, if um, so, I grew up in Zambia in Southern Africa and did medical school there, Um, and in. My medic, in, time, in several years of being clinical in medical school, three years, I saw one person with a heart attack and it was an immigrant, um, so not a, a, a native Zambian. And now we see and my friends are still there and, and they'll see routinely um, you know 40, 50, 60 year old uh, Zambians having heart attacks, strokes, um, you know, really bad sort of conditions. And, and a lot of it is because over time, less physical activity, westernization of the diet, you know, things like that. But we know these are all risk factors, but then we see it playing out all the way where not only are they risk factors, but you see the increased incidence of disease um, in in populations pretty much all around the world. Optimist or pessimist? I'm an optimist by mm-hmm. nature. By, is that by, tr- by training or... No, just this is who I am. Have- like it's just literally, like you sort of almost have to be to come out of, um, Inzyme is a wonderful place, but like I saw a lot of poverty, I saw a lot of suffering. And so that, I'll frame it this way. For me, what that did was it, it, it gave me this tremendous responsibility, right? Like through the accident of birth, I have been incredibly fortunate. And I've, um, I'll give you one foundational memory. So it's a pathology class, we're doing an autopsy. And the medical students get to read the notes as the pathologist is cutting open. So I'm reading the notes. I'm like The woman came in. She had a headache. Turns out she had meningitis. We did a, 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 a spinal tap. The tap showed meningitis. It was confirmed. The family was told to go buy some penicillin. They couldn't afford it. She died. Mm-hmm. And the pathologist at that moment finishes his autopsy, looks up and says, oh, she was pregnant. Unbeknownst to the team. So two lives were lost. For a dollar's worth of penicillin, and I—that just shook me. Like, and and so, the it it sort of to my core. Like, I feel the more people I can help, the more people I can reach, improve their health, improve their well-being, and whether it's you know wearable stuff that we've been talking about, or I used to work in Google Search and the products that we launched reach a billion people. I wrote a book about it. But this like obsession with like reaching people at scale and helping them stem from that. Just
1: uh, make sure your book is noted here. It's Searching for Health, the Smart Way to Find Information Online and Put It to Use. Um, yeah, you. we'll make sure. And you've also offered a discount code um, for that. And so for our listeners. And so thank you for that. Well, we'll put the, a, a link in the show notes for that. And so to... Drive awareness to what your findings are and, and how you're helping folks out here. So, do, when yes. you were in that experience, do you remember? Do you remember if you felt it or and or thought it?
0: Both, well, like it's it's visceral, right? For like you, but for you, me. Were, you
1: were you work, yeah. And do you remember what that um, emotional experience was for you? Like where you felt it, how you processed it?
0: Yeah. No. I mean, it, it, it's you know p- part of this is. And it wasn't the only one, right? Like, that's the sad thing. Like, I had multiple experiences where I would routinely try and help people. And they, for example, would go back to their villages and compounds and and come back with malaria and diarrhea. Or, like, there was somebody who worked for us, in, and their kid had malnutrition, and I literally bought them food to help the kid, and the kid died anyways. And, like, mm. just mm. these incredible experiences that, you know – it wasn't a single one, but it was like accumulation of like a lifetime of decades of of experience in Zambia, seeing all of this incredible poverty and suffering, but at the same time, like these incredibly resilient people who would still find ways to have joy and and live their lives in spite of the challenges that they face. Who were
1: the most influential people in your life? Was it inside your? Was it at the dining room table, or was it outside?
0: My parents, for sure, and and then and then my wife is. Been just an incredible source of like sort of secret to my success, as it were. Um, we're childhood sweethearts, so I've known her pretty much all my life. And uh started dating when uh we we're teenagers, and it it's she's really been the one to like she helped me migrate to the US and like everything from like telling you what to wear to interviews to like, hey, think about we were at a dinner um in and, and I was trying to spread the word about a nonprofit I was working at Hopkins and. The, the person there was like, you know, you should think about being a White House fellow. I'm like, oh, I don't know. My wife like not just me. She's like, he's interested. Tell us more. <laughs> and they were very kind and mentored me and I got in. And But, you know, like little things, big and small like that, like she, her, my family, it, like those are sort of some of the fun. And then I have amazing mentors um, at Hopkins who sort of paved the way to help me get here uh, as well as folks in Zambia. So it, it's, if you... Th- if you add up all the good fortune I've had, right? Like aside from the basic, like I'm not one of the poor folks suffering in Zambia. Like I've also had an incredible amount of support and luck. And that only adds to the like opportunity, but also the responsibility. So like every time I have an opportunity, like your podcast or anything else, I take it seriously. I prep for it and I see how I can use it to, um, as it were, advance the cause, reach more people and and help them. Mm.
1: Of all the questions that we have in life, what are the questions that you think about most often?
0: You know, we have a, a limited time in the world. And it's, it's about how you want to use it. Time is your most precious commodity. And, and you have spheres of impact. The most immediate are the people you interact with every day. And so how can I be the best husband, the best father, the best friend and neighbor, right? Coworker, colleague, those kinds of things. And then you have larger spheres of impact. So, like, who can I teach? Who, you know, how can I? Who can I mentor? And because if I mentor that person, they might mentor somebody else, and that has impact. What can I build? Who will do that? Do you reach? think
1: about? Do you think about trying to be your best parent or spouse, or are you trying to be the best?
0: The best version of
1: myself. And when you use that language, the best version of myself.
0: How do you conceptualize that? Um, It's hard, right? Like you sort of know, it's easier to understand your failings than to understand what's the best version of yourself. And so like, you know, when you're not being a good dad, and if you can cut down the number of times when you feel like you're not being a good dad, then you're becoming a better version of yourself.
1: But it's Super. hard to say for me That's right now medical, what that, that is looks such like. such a medical model, though, that I I, I hear that and I go.
0: <laughs> You're a doctor. <laughs> wait, <did> this, <laughs> Jesus. You know, like, wait, hold The on, elimination of disease equals health. If I'm less
1: shitty, less disease. That's I'm right. Not, no, absence of no. disease does not equal
0: health. <laughs> yes, okay, absence so, of disease does not equal health.
1: No, no, no. So if you, if we we're to just kind of open this up for a minute. Yeah. Because earnestly, I, I am absolutely aligned that you are working on being your very best. And then you, if, we, if we slice that down to a role and let's do, you know, as a dad right now, this is not easy. So you had no. me there 100%. And I, this is really, I think about this a lot. Mm-hmm. And it does, it does begin to become a little bit of a mind bender trying to put words to this. But the way that I've understood it is like I need to have, I need to use my imagination, Mm-hmm. and then um, have that imagination, have some sensory feeling to it. So it's not just intellectual, right? But yeah, I can yeah. feel it. And those are my two guideposts. What does it look like? And what does it feel like yeah, when right. I'm at my best? And yeah. then from there, I start to back in um, practices that will help me be that version of me more sure. often. And then I leave full full permission to be able to say, I, okay. that version can change now, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, so yeah. when you use your imagination, and there's a felt sense to it, what does that look like for you as a dad and feel like for you as a dad?
0: Yeah, I think for me as a like the best version of myself is really this wonderful supportive person who can nurture and also um, I think of it as like this judo move of like channeling their energy, right? Like tantrum happening, a lot of energy, a lot of emotion, misdirected at like some frustration that they can't how can I carefully acknowledge that and turn that into and and sometimes it's with a joke and a smile and it sort of swings the other way and then you know like it's this wonderful warm feeling of like yes I helped I turned this like potentially awful moment into something that was joyous and fun and also showed them a way of coping with adversity with this eh, adversity is a strong word but like When things don't go your way, in a way that's graceful, right? Like so that that would be my sort of idealized version of that. Are you more of a wise human,
1: like we'll say wise man, right now, or are you more of like um, a tenth degree judo? black belt that is like, in the, in, like, are you the Zen master? In, in, none of the above, you I'm muddling
0: through. <laughs> I'm just muddling through my day, I'm trying through. to get yeah. by. Okay. Oh, that's so good. You asked it's me sorry. to imagine, you didn't ask me what day-to-day looks like. <laughs> yeah.
1: The actual, right. I, okay, so let's stay there for a minute. Like you, <laughs> like what you've done is amazing over your body work. Oh, you. it's, it's amazing. And it's even hard to even track because you've, you wear many hats, you've got thank a you. big motor um, you're forward thinking in so many ways and you're right on the pulse of what's happening now. Do you, did you ever have a thing of like imposter syndrome? Like they're going to find out they're going to know that I'm, I'm going a little faster. I'm a little over my skis, you know, I'm pretending as best as I possibly can. And like, did you ever
0: square with that? Or did did you find different? It's, you know, I've, I've read a lot about the imposter syndrome and it's, it's just, it's different, right? Like, so um, I think for me, it's taking risks, right? I had a path as a cardiologist, as a Johns Hopkins, and I had to sort of leave that, step away to go into technology at a time when nobody else was doing it, um, and then sort of prove my worth that that path is worthwhile. And, and that was not a reckless decision that essentially threw away all the investment that people had put in me to become a cardiologist. Right? And now I see patients one day a week instead of every day, and instead of being at Johns Hopkins writing papers on from the mo- one, of, one of the most illustrious institutions in the world, I make consumer technology products at Google. Like it's a, and is that a is that a sellout, or is that actually a different way to have impact? And early on, I didn't know, right? I didn't know which way this was going to turn out, and so there was that um, that again that sense of like having to prove that this is actually worthwhile that this is meaningful that this has impact um and when you're sort of busy doing that work it's i didn't have time to stop and think like am i good enough it's just like no i gotta i gotta get this done do you
1: have a decision tree or a decision framework that you work from when you know certainly in these pivotal transitional types of decisions or even in the small ones like do you have a, a framework that you use
0: it's something I've been thinking about. Um, this was not where I was expecting the interview to go, but I'll, 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 I'll would, share. Would you
1: say that you are uh, unskilled at making decisions? Uh, no, I say no. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm
0: just, I, I'm just spitballing because I'm like, oh gosh, like this was not what I would expected. You're just buying anyway. yourself another moment. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah. It's,
1: really, it's really no so, uh, it, because you have, a humili- you have a humility. You have a humility. You da da da. It's like it's all there. No, you're very sweet. You, yeah, and you've navigated. Um, complicated environments no, for sure. with precision
0: and fidelity. And so like that, I'm buying you more No, time, no I appreciate the it. There's a construct I've been mulling. It's literally, I've been processing this for the last few. I, I end up with a lot of giving people career advice, right? People like, I want to be you, or I want to, I'm thinking about a career that's outside of medicine. That's something crazy. You've done a crazy thing. How does that work out? Right. And I, I do those talks at least. I'm flattered that you want to be me. I'm flattered. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's, um, but it, it's, it's, every, <laughs> listen, I'm just <laughs> No, you're fine. <laughs> you're <responsible>. totally fine. <laughs> right, keep um, going. That was fun. I do. No, no. Hey, man, Dude, if I could like, uh, no, push, uh, no the, I know the, what you meant to walk into your yeah. office and say, no, they, I know. <laughs> wish
1: I could be Kapil. So, okay. That's right.
0: I'm just Um, part of that career advice is this construct of linear and nonlinear sort of opportunities.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: go to medical school, become a doctor, linear, right? Go to Google and like reach a billion people or not, non-linear, right? And Mm. how do you go from doctor at Hopkins to Google? Non-linear. Like there is just no way to map that clearly. And then once you figure out that you're in a linear path or non-linear, it's different return on investment. So I'll, I'll just try that afresh just so that you have it. So thanks, that's a great question. It's something I think about a lot in terms of decision-making because people ask me, you know, they're about careers and things like that. So in my mind, there's two ways of, of thinking about these kinds of decisions. There's linear and there's nonlinear. So a linear thing is something like, you go to medical school, you'll become a doctor. And there, the process is relatively straightforward. It's not easy, but it's straightforward. It's like, If I take the MCATs, if I study, if I do these courses, pass these exams, I will become a doctor. And and there's a a pretty straight path to follow. But then there's nonlinear sort of decisions, opportunities, things like that. So, for example, my own life, it was from Google, from being a doctor to going to work for Google. And that path is, uh, there is no direct way to say that if I do these things, I will end up as a doctor at Google. And... I think it's important to recognize that there are things that can position you for a greater chance of these nonlinear and to be more successful with these nonlinear things. And these nonlinear things have much greater upside. But it takes a certain amount of privilege to be even have access to those. And then the courage to take that leap, right? And so the privilege is to be in the right circles, talking to the right people, be like, hey, you might be useful here. Maybe we should talk about a job. And then the courage to say, I'm gonna leave my cardiology career at Johns Hopkins to go work at Google, right? And so there, there's a, and not everybody has access or the you know, ability to make those jumps, but those are some of the ways to think about it. Oh
1: my it. God, I love those two, linear, non-linear, and then um, opportunity and risk, you know, yeah. like, or That's opportunity exactly. and, and courage. Like, I, I really like that. And um, I think we can practice taking risk so mm-hmm. you know smaller stakes to larger stakes yep and if we don't if we don't practice it when the opportunity arises we tend to overthink and yeah. find all the things that could go wrong as opposed to what could i i love what you just did there oh, so thank you. thank you for letting me in and in that was yeah. really that was really good well, the what other you're thing about risk podcast, is is life oh, rewards
0: sorry. risk uh differently depending on mm-hmm. where you are so if it's someone like you or me um i take a risk i go to google if I fall flat on my face, if my product fails, and Google fires me, and they say, "Hey, we don't need this stuff anymore," I can go back to being a cardiologist, which is not a bad yeah. backup plan.
1: No, um, yeah, I, understand. I understand.
0: Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, if you're a hourly worker at McDonald's, right, mm-hmm. and you take a risk and like try something different, you might get fired, or your car might break down, and like so many bad things would happen that you might end up homeless because there's. You have to follow as many linear paths as you can till you get to a point where you're comfortable enough to take risks. You
1: know, I want to add one more piece to that. My first job, um, I needed to have three jobs growing up. My parents were doing fine, but they weren't handing me anything. My Mm -hmm. first job was at a gas station and um, throwing, throwing newspapers right before that, but at a gas station and, you know. I, I bring that up because it was very clear to me that if I could make, it was like uh three twenty-five an hour, $3.25 yeah. an hour. And if I could make uh, $12 over, you know, four hours of work, then I was only going to figure out how to spend six yeah because I never wanted to be leveraged to make decisions that I couldn't find those linear steps to your point. Right. And so if I would, if I would have made 12 and spent 15 on credit, then I I just couldn't figure I couldn't square that in myself about how to make that work, so I'm not saying I had the right path, but I do know that I had to kind of be really conservative so that I could right. lay the risks I wanted to to lay as opposed to, um, I don't know. Uh, no, no, that's exactly a, right. A, right, a that great, that is exactly, exactly the, the point. Yeah. yeah. No, that yeah, is
0: exactly the point, point. Right, like so you don't take, you don't take go spend the extra three dollars on a credit card and then end up with a ton of credit card debt and then you now have to work even harder to pay that off. But the flip side is if you're privileged, you can borrow money to start a business and take that risk there you knowing go. Yeah, right, right. that you have a much greater upside and if it all falls flat, you might have assets or friends and family you can call and you won't be homeless, right? Like yeah. So yeah. that you can take There's non-linear range. risk from a position of privilege that you just cannot when when you're not in that place. Did
1: you come from a place of privilege at a young age or like... It's, it's all also, relative, so relatively yeah. yes. The, relatively the short answer yes. is yes, because relative I was to,
0: to Zambia to to, to like Zambia. people who are working on a dollar a day. Like for the average American, no. Like I had to you know really, but I and I've never had to worry about a meal, where I'm getting my next meal in my life, or where you know, in in between my parents who have paid for my education and were wonderful people are wonderful people. My dad passed my mom's away, but um. Mm. It it all of that sort of put me in a position where when I came to the US, I had to be very linear. I'm an immigrant, so I have to do things that, you know, give me a visa. Um, I becoming a cardiologist, so I have to do the things that get me to becoming a cardiologist. So I was still taking very linear risks, but I came from a relative position of privilege compared to like most people. Once I was done with my linear risks, that's when I was like able to take the nonlinear risks because I had, I was an American citizen, I'd done enough to establish myself so that I had a good fallback plan, all of that. You're kicking ass. And even though. then I, I had love, to be careful, right? This. Like I would, have, I would have started a company when I was, uh, uh, 10 years ago, because I actually wanted to start a wearable company on the were in 2014, but I didn't, I, I, our daughter was just born and I didn't feel comfortable enough taking that big a risk. Mm. Mm. So even then my risk was calibrated to, to my position. So
1: Listen again. You're kicking ass. This is so much fun to have this conversation with you. If you were to start, um, if you just jump on a soapbox here for a minute and say, look, I know cardiovascular health. I understand this stuff at a deep level related to tech. Da, 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 da. Please, if you want to be around in a high quality way for your family, for your yes. purpose in life, start here and do this in a, in, in, in a diligent way every day. Drive that home one more time,
0: yeah, sure, so if you look up life simple eights that's the American Heart Association had made has made a checklist of eight things, and you know it's the things you would expect physical activity, don't smoke, sleep at least eight hours, eat well and and you can look at it as like control your blood pressure, cholesterol, and so on, but life simple eights right is the is the checklist, and then you can go into sort of more things beyond that, but if you just want. Purely good cardiovascular health and good health overall, that's a great starting point. So there's been interesting
1: research around um, heat. So mm-hmm. being in a, in a sauna, like a dry sauna in particular, um, are you, uh, uh, you know, big claims around dry saunas right now, 50% all up mortality rate, you know, enhanced or uh, decreased. Like, where are you with some of that modalities, some of those modalities?
0: I haven't read the literature, to be honest, so I, I, I honestly can't comment on it. Um, it's something you just haven't looked at
1: where do you take risks for your heart health
0: um i don't (laughs) i'm not sure like
1: come on come on glass um, of wine two glasses of wine
0: no i'm not sure like do i do things that put my heart at risk or do i do things that might give me outsized benefits. I'm not sure what you mean by risk for heart health there. I'm just, I, I'm clearly I, not sure.
1: That's good. What do you yeah. do that uh, you're not optimizing for your heart health? Is it, you're sitting too much? You are, oh, I see. your sleep has compromised yourself. Is it yeah, glasses yeah. of wine?
0: A hundred percent. For me, it's sleep. My kids are horrible sleepers. I love them too much to, we never did cry it out. We did wait it out. We're still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's a tough go. And then,
1: <laughs> Um, when it comes, where do you point people to if they go to their internal doc, internal medicine doc, or they go somewhere to have their physical checkup or what, what tests do you point them to? I've used Boston health and I've loved it. I think it's, um, okay. it's been a solid baseline for me. I'll do one a year. Um, where do you point people to, or their physicians to, if they're not going to go to a cardiologist, uh, Yeah, yeah, um, of make a basic work. You know,
0: I'm, I'm super spoiled. So like when my friends come to me. I send them to my friend who is a preventive cardiologist, who's the preventive cardiologist at Hopkins. So, and then he does a very, like, he's got a, he's, he knows way more than I do about this stuff, which is saying a lot. And so he ends up doing things around, you know, CT scans for um, uh, car- calcium scoring, things like that, or um, very sophisticated cholesterol tests that, that measures- I had one of
1: those. I had both of those, like the, the calcium test I had done. Um, one of my friends passed away early. Oh, and sorry. uh so we all of us went we, we got our, our our scans done which is cheap it's only like i don't know it was like a hundred and some dollars out of pocket yeah and i think insurance picks it up as well and uh i didn't like what i got back
0: um i'm sorry and, and yeah. i think it's one of those and things
1: I'm, where dude I'm, I'm i'm doing my i'm kicking ass like i'm doing yeah, yeah. pretty well and i didn't like what i got back it was a score of it was 94 uh for calcium score and i'm like
0: damn it <laughs> yeah. So. And it, so I think that brings up two important things. So one is you can do everything right. And, and, and many people do. And it's not a failing to then have this. You know, there's genetics. There's exposures to the environment, in the environment that we just don't know about, right? Like, so it's not a personal failing to have heart disease or diabetes or even, you know, obesity. Like, the amount of fat phobia in this country is ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. it is just... um you know, unhealthy to, to blame the victim. And, and there are some cases, like you smoked all your life, You did, that's different. But for m- many people, you know, there's a huge psychological guilt that comes with that. And, and we should not have, we should assuage that the best we can. So that's one part of it. The other part of it is understanding how to talk with your doctors about, you know, sort of one is many of us go online, we find all this information. Calcium scores. I heard it in this podcast. I got to go talk to them about it. What do I do? And and you have like six or seven minutes. You know, we're lucky. We might have a concierge doc who'll give us more time, but the average person has like a few. And and the doc has their own agenda, right? Like when I show up, I'm like, okay, I got to go over his meds, make sure blood pressure's okay, and and they say, hey, I've got to ask you something. Like, Wait, what? Right? I no, no, I have my own list first. Um, and 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 so, and this is part of what I do in the book is like talk through like. How do you, one, make space in the visit for that conversation, but two, how do you process the recommendations? And so um, I have a good friend um, who sort of is in your shoes, has a high calcium score. I sent it to the expert that I mentioned. And they said, you know, take some statins. And he's like, runs the Boston Marathon, like is amazing shape. Like he he's he looks great. and And he's like, but he eats terribly. So he's like, no, 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 I'm going to do this on my own. And so six months, a year, whatever, he goes nuts on his diet and, and the cardiologist is impressed. Like you've done more with food than you could with just medicines alone, right? So, um, it, and, and I'll get back to the tool in a second. So he goes to vacation and celebrates and then falls you know, sort of back to his old ways a little bit, mm-hmm. goes back in six months and his numbers have crept back up. And so they sort of do this for, you know, another six month cycle and then gets better and then gets worse. And finally he ends up on statins and, and now he's on statins and that's kind of what he's decided. What I try to help him do is like, look, there's a chart that you can make and there's a print out the book and, and on our website, but you can say best case scenario, worst case scenario, right? Like best case is like, uh, I can fix this with heart disease, worst case with the medicine and without the medicine. And where would you sort of put yourself at? Put an X, because we're all terrible with math. Like we don't understand, you and I maybe, because we have different backgrounds, but many people don't understand probabilities and scores. And but you can just, if you have a straight line and you say this X is here and this X is here, you sort of can relatively compare. And so you can just see like risk benefit, like with the intervention statins in this case, and without um the statins. And and it became very clear for him that like with the statins, what he could do is have a good life, because He would still try on his diet, but he wouldn't have to go all the way to the extreme that he did, which is unsustainable. And so occasionally if he like left, he was okay. But it turned out he also didn't have as much of the side effects because he could do a lower dose. And so like he found that like right middle ground on that. But for for many people, what ends up happening is like you come in you're like, doc, I know what I need. I need a test. And you know, it's going to be great because I've been doing all the right things. And doc's like, now you don't, then you need to get your flu shot and maybe your colonoscopy. And that wasn't on the agenda today. And so you end up with this, like, what should be a collaborative process becomes almost confrontational. And so, like, it's, it's a huge waste of energy. And it's sort of like the tantrum and turning that energy, the Judo move, right? Like, yeah. either, and, and I tell this to both, like, I tell clinicians, like, if somebody comes in and, and has questions for you and has read up stuff or has a wearable with information, they're interested in their health. They've invested time An effort to do this. You might think it's useless, and it may well be from a clinical perspective. Acknowledge their work and redirect. That's amazing. Now look at Life Simple 8s. It took you like all of 10 seconds to say that, but you acknowledge their work and you send them to where you want them to go. And then you say, I might think you might benefit from a statin and they'll listen to you. Whereas if you say like, hey, that stuff's nonsense. Let's talk about statins. I'll be like, oh, this guy's in the pocket of big pharma. He's just like trying to make some money. So, that's sort of like the context there. Yeah, hope that's that, useful.
1: yes, it is. And um I want to say thank you. you know again i've I've loved this conversation i I have a better sense of why you've been able to navigate with precision and speed across multiple disciplines. And uh, I just want to again say thank you. I want to encourage people to go grab your book. We'll make sure we've thank got you. all the, the, the show notes in there. And again, if people want to just kind of grab it right now, it's Searching for Health, the smart way to find information online and just put it to use. And um,
0: again, really appreciate you. Oh, thank you for having me. This was so much fun. And it, um, I think you do great work. Like, I think you're really helping people understand how to live better. And that's phenomenal. So thank you for um, having me be part of that.
1: Oh, thank you. Finding Mastery is brought to you by Facet. For many of us, achieving financial wellness can be a complicated, stressful, and sometimes even really fun process. Now there's lots of ways to manage your money. So here's one that you might be interested in. Facet is the next generation of personalized financial planning. They are on a mission to make expert financial advice accessible to everyone, helping you achieve financial security and prosperity without the hefty portfolio fees. Okay, so how do they do it? FACET provides you flexible access to certified financial planner professionals and a team of experts across taxes, benefits, and so many more to help you understand and expand your financial opportunities. And the best part, instead of taking a percentage of your portfolio, FACET only charges an affordable flat membership fee and doesn't charge you to invest with them. This is extremely rare for the industry. As you probably know, most financial advisors charge you a percentage of your assets. FACET planners are all fiduciaries, and they are incentivized to prioritize what's best for you. So when you make more money, you keep more. How about it? And because you're listening to this podcast, FACET is hooking you up with a great offer. When you sign up today, FACET will waive the $250 enrollment fee for new annual members. And for a limited time, they'll give you $300 into your brokerage account When you invest $5,000 or more in your first 90 days. So just head to facet.com slash finding mastery to learn more. That's facet, F-A-C-E-T dot com slash finding mastery. Disclosure, Facet Wealth is an SEC registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it an investment legal or tax advice. Past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Thank you so much for diving into another episode of Finding Mastery with us. Our team loves creating this podcast and sharing these conversations with you. We really appreciate you being part of this community. And if you're enjoying the show, the easiest no-cost way to support is to hit the subscribe or follow button wherever you're listening. Also, if you haven't already, please consider dropping us a review on Apple or Spotify. We are incredibly grateful for the support and feedback. If you're looking for even more insights, we have a newsletter we send out every Wednesday. Punch over to findingmastery.com/newsletter to sign up. This show wouldn't be possible without our sponsors, and we take our recommendations seriously, and the team is very thoughtful about making sure we love and endorse every product you hear on the show. If you want to check out any of our sponsor offers you heard about in this episode, you can find those deals at findingmastery.com/sponsors. And remember, No one does it alone. The door here at Finding Mastery is always open to those looking to explore the edges and the reaches of their potential so that they can help others do the same. So join our community, share your favorite episode with a friend and let us know how we can continue to show up for you. Lastly, as a quick reminder, information in this podcast and from any material on the Finding Mastery website and social channels is for information purposes only. If you're looking for meaningful support, which we all need, one of the best things you can do is to talk to a licensed professional. So seek assistance from your healthcare providers. Again, a sincere thank you for listening. Until next episode, be well,
0: think well, and keep exploring.